Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. We are here each and every week sharing the good news of Jesus and the great study of the in Christ message from Warren Litzman and things that Warren left behind after he passed on. And uh, we are into an amazing, an amazing series right now. It's the Foundation Series, Part 2. And speaking of Part 2, this today will be Part 2 of the Seven Freedoms of the Christ Life. Part 1 was terrific, and this will be no different. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. Our fifth freedom that we have is freedom to love each other. Now, we're just coming to this. We're just coming to it. But the fifth freedom is the freedom to love each other. I was talking somewhere not long ago, and I was talking about how we loved everybody. We love all denominations. We love all people. How we can love a Catholic now doesn't cost us anything. It's his love. When you get freed of religion and the law, you can love everybody because that's the way God does it. You understand how that works? You know why it is certain church people don't love others? It's because of a law. It isn't Christ that lives in them. It's the law that's operating. And the law says those people don't baptize like we do. They can't even be saved. So what is it? It's hate. It's hate between the two groups. Why did you know those people there believe that Mary is bigger than Jesus and the Pope is greater than God? What difference does that make? That's law that separates you. What did you do by that? You limited the Jesus in you who even loves the Pope. Well, you know what you did by that? You dumped all of that hate into your body and so you're sick and diseased. That's where it goes. But the fifth freedom is the freedom to love everybody. Not just religious people but to love those who spitefully use us. For instance, to love your neighbor. Now you already know that neighbors are going to have fallen out sooner or later. You can't live next door to somebody and have kids and not have a fallen out. Or if you don't have kids, to have a dog or a cat. You're going to have a fallen out sooner or later. What is Christ's love? It's loving regardless of that. It doesn't mean that you set aside a rule or a responsibility. But it means that you're now free to love everybody. And not long ago in a meeting, as I was saying previously, somebody said, yes, we've learned how to love everybody in the world. But maybe we haven't learned to love the sinner. Ah, that was different. Do you love your next door neighbor? who's a good Baptist who goes to church every meeting and really loves God, do you love him as much as you do the neighbor behind you that's throwing a beer party every Saturday night and you can't stand the racket and and all of the ranting and raving and so forth? Where do you draw the line on love? Why, believers would think it was them loving. It isn't. It's Christ who loves through them. What am I getting at? I don't mean that you like the neighbor who throws a beer party and tears up the neighborhood. I make a distinction between his love and us liking what men do. Jesus didn't like what his own brother did, but he loved him. I mean that the Jesus within us is the lover. 
And while I'm set against what men and evil do, I don't draw a line between the sinner that does it and the church member whom I'm connected with by the Bible. Because I'm free to love now. Not their works, not their actions, not their sin, but I'm free to love them. Jesus said, love your enemy. You know who his enemies were? His own brother. He came to his own, his own received him not. And the biggest problem Jesus had was with his own brother. Why, he even said in one message that a man's members of his own household would be his greatest enemies. He said there'd be religious people who would kill you and say they did God a favor. And yet he said, love your enemy. That's your fifth freedom. It hinges on 2 Corinthians 5 and 16. We know no man after the flesh, not even Jesus. Some of the people in our fellowship that we pray about and talk about who have done awful things need to be in this fold and in our fellowship as if we knew nothing about them. Our children need to be dealt with as if we know nothing about what it is they've done. That we see no man after the flesh. What is the flesh? That's what he does in his body. That's what he does when a mind is given to his flesh. We know no man after the flesh. Ah, oh, but the scripture says this, brother, and the law says this. You've got to make your mind up whether Christ is to be all or the law. Because our text says that if Christ isn't all, then you better keep all the law. That's not going to save you, but he says, you're scriptorian, you're stereotype, you're a lawyer, so keep it all. Keep it all. Be honest with yourself. Keep it all. You're going to love your own when they're wrong, then love others wrong when they're wrong. Love others who are wrong. If you're going to love the Baptist neighbor, love the beer-drinking neighbor. Why? We see no man after the flesh. I see, that's hard to do. But what you don't realize is, if you get free from the law and circumcision, or you're doing your own thing, you've got a freedom you never had before. I don't have to sit here and argue which neighbor is the best. I don't have to argue who my brother is. I just love him. But you see, another thing is, we've never been able to love with God's love. We haven't come to the freedom of loving with God's love. What we think is love now is that I must be connected with them, I must run with them, I must walk with them, and I must give them things. And, and if I can't love them all the way, I won't love them at all. That really isn't what he said. Jesus wanted to love the Jews. And he did by dying for them on Calvary. But it wasn't buying them little gifts and doing things and having rapport with them that was important. I've got to love people I never have a rapport with. I've got to have love for people who despitefully use me. I must love people who don't agree with me. That's hard to do. That's what we're growing to in this fellowship. That's a freedom we have. That's not a, an awful bondage. That's a freedom. I'm free now to love everybody because there's me doing it's Jesus. I was taught by the first pastor who ever made an impact on me as a young man. He said this. He said, your enemy today in the church may be your friend tomorrow. And your friend today may be your enemy tomorrow. Try not to separate them. And you know, he was right. He pastored there in my home church for 40 years or so. And in our town, 
enemies and friends were like in a revolving door with him. They hated him one year, and the next year they were back in his church. And I watched this going on. I watched people who said I wouldn't set foot under his ministry again. Five years later, they were all going to the church and were deacons in the church. I learned something from him about love, to not draw the line on it. That's a freedom we have. That's a glorious freedom we've been brought to, to be able to love everybody. Listen, you're going to get criticized. We're only coming to a point now where God's really making an impact in life. This, this catastrophe we've had with this young lady is going to be a marvelous thing because I sense out of it's going to come a glory we've never had in this fellowship. I prayed to God for two years there'd be some kind of break around here, and I think it's coming. I think I pray to God that out of what's happened at the Conroe this weekend will be a great breaking there, and God will begin to do things. You see, out of the negative comes... The force whereby God can do something. Sometimes we sit around and pray, no trouble, Lord, let it all move smoothly. But we've got to have the negative joined to the positive before we ever have any force. Let's pray to God there's going to be some force now. Things are going to break. Things are going to open up. Why? Because I can afford to love. It doesn't cost me. He paid for it. He does it. I'm just a vessel he uses. Sixth freedom we have. The sixth freedom is that I can be a son without any condemnation. Romans 8 and 1. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. The ugliest sign of circumcision, self-effort in a believer is when the believer is condemned. I failed. I didn't do right. I should have done this. I should have done that. What you say by that is that if I'd have done it, I can make Jesus right. And when I didn't do it, I made Jesus wrong. You don't make him by anything you do. He's the gift of God in you. And that's why Paul says there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you the greatest truth I've learned and still operate by. If I do wrong, it's good. Often when I think I do good, it's wrong. What it amounts to is simply this. Whether I do or don't do, whether I abound or am abased, I can say with Paul, I have learned. I've learned. So it isn't bad at all. That's why he says, if you're in Christ Jesus and you even do wrong, it isn't bad. Why? You learn from it. Why are you still on earth to grow up in him? We're always growing. But it's when we heap condemnation and guilt upon us that we get out of proportion. And we struggle. And we start saying, I should have done this, I should have done that, as if what we do makes him us. It has nothing to do with it. He's been birthing. Whether that child does right or wrong, the father has birthed his seed in that child. And that child has the potential of being what that father is. Whether he does it or not, he has that potential ever there. So I have the freedom now to be a son. I was raised in a religion that says you're only a child of God if you follow the rule. You're only a son of God 
if you obey. And God knows nobody believes that obedience is more important than I do. But that doesn't make you a son. Even though Hebrews 5 and 8, even though he were the what? Son. Yet he learned obedience. Obedience is a learning process. Doesn't make you a son. Writer Hebrews plainly said, he's a son, period. But even though he is a son, he'll still learn obedience. Isn't that good news? Because religion would say, oh, they're not in the fold anymore. They're not one of us anymore. Not with us anymore. I have the freedom now to be a son. I'm not going to walk right all the time. I'm not going to obey all the time. I'm not going to be what everybody wants me to be all the time. But I have come to the freedom of being a son. Because me doing right or doing bad has nothing to do with me being birthed a son. That was something a father did. And every father who birthed his child never asked the child if he can do it. There's not a one of your parents that ever asked you about bringing you into the world. They just did it. So that's what you are. That's what you are. And that's who you are. Now why don't you rest in it? That's the freedom I have. I have that freedom. I'm not going to vacillate anymore between right and wrong making me a son or not a son. Somebody says, well, you sure do preach eternal security. No, I'm preaching sonship. I'm preaching the birthing. If you see your birthing, that's what you are. If you see religion, then you'll never know for sure who you are. But I know because it has been birthed in me, that's what I am. And you won't lose me from that. I'm free to be a son. Thoughts of prayer have been on my mind here lately. Praying. I'm so thrilled when I hear you talk about praying. I'm never, never going to organize you into a, a prayer clock, a prayer chain. Because I wouldn't dare suggest to you that us doing that is going to make you a son. Because for years when I pastored, I said, folks, if you don't do this, you really don't love God enough. What I was really suggesting, you're not who you say you are if you don't do this. You are who you say you are regardless. You just may not live it. But I'm thrilled when I hear you talk about praying. Because you see, I believe when you're walking as Him, when you get up in the morning and say, this is Christ going to work. Even though in your past thinking you don't believe that, but you go ahead and say it. Because that's the way it is. Say, well, I just don't feel like it's Christ done. Well, I'll ask you something you don't feel. I'm German. And I've got to honestly tell you, that's my birthing in the flesh. But I have never known what it meant to feel like a German. <laughs> now, I'm told Germans are mean, hard, callous, dictatorial. Not lazy. Huh? Yeah. Okay, not lazy. That's good. But <laughs> Thanks. I needed that. I needed that. She said that's the only good thing about it. Hey, man. Don, are you German? No, you're not German. You couldn't be. She wouldn't be saying that about you. <laughs> so you see, I've never known what it meant to feel like a German other than what somebody told me. There is no such thing as a German instinct. 
or a German spirit. The only way I could know what a German is is by living with my father and mother. And by their living, me take on the ways of my parents. How would you ever know you were a son of God? There's no instinct. How do you know you're a son of God? We were all born again. And went years before we ever knew there was a person within us. We just thought that was something we did. And it worked if we were religious. We didn't know the son was in us. There he was all the time and we didn't know it. What is the instinct of a son of God? Why? It's living as that. I tell you, Christ is in you. So get up in the morning, even though you don't have the instinct and the feeling and all of that. Get up in the morning and say, here goes Jesus in the human form of Barbara. Or Ida. Or Don. Here goes Jesus in this human form. You say, well, I don't feel that. That's why some of us are in trouble right now. We go by trying to feel that that's what we are. You say, well, I'm not going to lie about it. I don't feel like I'm Jew. Well, you don't feel like you're Irish or German or Scotch or... There's a Mexican back there. Mexican. <laughs> you don't feel that. That's something you know by having been trained. Because you can take a little Mexican baby and raise it in a German home and the baby will never know it's Mexican. What am I saying? Beloved, now, in O.W., John said, now we are the sons of God. It's not a feeling you have, but it's something you learn. You learn that by obedience. God says you're a son. So you get up in the morning and you say, here goes the sun. Here goes the sun. Everywhere I go today, it's the sun. Everything I say today, it's the sun. Somebody's always saying to me, well, they're going to be sinners. Not if they know they're a son. Not if they know they're a son. You're not going to lie, cheat, curse, drink, swear. You're not going to do those things if you know you're a son. You're going to sit down to your desk to do your office work, and it's going to well up within you. Here goes the son doing this work, and suddenly his wisdom will begin to flow. you glory in who you are. That's something you learn. To learn it. Got to learn it. Even though he were a son, he learned obedience. How? By the things which he suffered. You gotta learn that. I said it to you, but you didn't learn it. It's like telling a child two and two is four, but it's gonna be a time yet before they learn it. Some of them don't learn it till they're in the tenth grade. You got to learn that you're a son of God. You're free. You're free to be that. Don't say, well, I didn't act like it, so I'm not a son. You're a son whether you act like it or not. You just haven't learned obedience. So it'll come. This freedom will come. But I was really talking about prayer. When you walk around as a son, you're a constant communication to the Father. I'm not going to raise up another body of people that are condemned because they didn't pray and read their Bibles. I did that once. I raised up a whole group of people who said they didn't pray and read their Bibles every day. They're never going to be a son. And one day the Spirit said, how did they get to be a son? By praying and reading the Bible? No, they were born again. Well, then drop the rest of it. They're already sons. Start telling them now they'll learn obedience. Because they are sons. You're free to be that son. If you fail, it makes a lot of difference. If you as a son says, Father, I sure goofed. I failed. You're free to be that son. Go ahead and be it. You're free to be who you were birthed to be. 
So your whole life, a communication with the Father. Everything you do is a communication when you walk as a son in your liberty. You get into a, an ordeal with somebody, you're the son in that ordeal. Maybe you won't be very good. Maybe you'll cuss and rant and rave and then have to go back later and ask him forgiveness. But you're learning. That didn't stop you from being a son. Still a son. You learn. You suffered by that. But by that suffering you learn. So your whole life is a life of prayer. I don't know if I told you about Bob, uh, Bob, Bob Weinberger. He's pastor of the church where we have the institute in Salem. And our institute in Salem this month moves to Portland. Went to bigger quarters. It's a fast-growing institute, really growing, reaching. Blessed group of people. You've got to get to know. They're so far from you. You've got to get to know the folks in Portland. And so we move from Salem now to Portland. He's a pastor in Salem, and he's 100% for this move because he's more given to this message than he is his church. He's told me that several times, that if this message ever needs him, he will leave the church immediately, be what it is we want him to be. And he says, until then, I'll sit and learn. He's a blessed brother. But he went down to, to Venezuela to one of his friends that has a Bible college down there to speak at Special Emphasis Week. And uh, while he was there, a young woman came up to him and she said, I'm so frustrated, I'm ready to quit the school and go home and quit God and everything. He said, what in the world's wrong? She said, I can't keep the pace. She said, they drill it into us. We have to pray so long and read so many chapters every day. And she said, I can't hack it anymore. I've done all I could. I've gone as far as I can go. And she said, I'm just ready to quit. And Bob remembered our teaching. He said, I looked at her and I said, praise God. That's good news. Well, she like fell out of her chair because she didn't think the special speaker dare say that. He said, that's good. Set your Bible aside. Quit your prayer. He said, you bound yourself into believing you were becoming what they said you were by doing these things and you wore yourself out. So he said, let me tell you. You're already a child of God. And doing those things didn't make it or break it. So he said, just set them aside. And he said, I'll promise you in a few hours or a few days, the love that is within you will reach out for these things again. You're free to be a son. You'll never be free to be a Baptist. And I'll say that in love. Because I can't run Baptist without a law. You'll never be free to be a assembly of God because you can't run the assembly of God without a law. You'll never be free to be a Catholic because Catholicism won't work without a law. Are you listening to me? I'm saying this in love, but you've got to hear me. You'll never be free to be a charismatic because a charismatic can't operate the program without love, without law. So I'm here to tell you, your sixth freedom is that you're already a son. Be that. Be that. And then if you want to join with someone in fellowship, Join with them as a son. But never take the pill again. That you've got to do what we do to be who you are. You're free now to be a son. And so I want to say to every one of you that hurts here today, every family that's going through a turmoil, that's got pain and suffering, that's good. That's good. Because it's to show you that you're free now to be a son. That you don't have to do or not do. Be or not be. We're freed from Shakespeare. He said to be or not to be. That's the question. I never have to say that again. Because one day at an altar I made myself on a concrete step. There was birthed in me another person. I've been born again. Now sooner or later i got to get it in my head. That's where my freedom is. I'm free to be that. I'm not going to fit in with others. 
I'm going to have a hard time fitting in with them for a while. Because I'm set against that law that says circumcision makes Jesus real. I'm set against it. Because I hear Paul say circumcision makes Christ of no avail. And that's where I've lived most of my life. You say, well, what if somebody lives like the devil? Preach the word to them. What if somebody uses a license to sin? Preach the word to them. Well, what if they just keep on doing it? Preach the word to them. Because if the word does not renew the mind, there's no law that's going to do it. Why put them back under a law that separates them from Jesus? Our seven freedoms. You've got to have seven of everything. We've got seven freedoms in the Christ life. The seventh freedom, you're free to be Christ as you in this world. You're free to be your real self. And your real self is Christ as you. You're free to be that. Somebody says, well... Does it mean that Jesus is going to get mad? Jesus is going to get angry? Jesus is going to get upset? Your mind given to Jesus will determine your actions. Now you're free to be yourself. You're not going to be pretty all the time. Religion has dressed Jesus up into a very beautiful package. And to show you that God never intended that Jesus be a beautiful thing, we have the very hard writings of Isaiah in his 53rd chapter where he says that Christ is as a tender plant, a tender root out of dry ground. You ever see a root out of dry ground, a straggly looking thing? doesn't fit at all. A root out of dry ground is an impossible situation. But that's what Jesus is. Now notice, how God by the Holy Spirit let Jesus be described. There was no beauty about him. That should any man see him, they would not desire him. Oh, that's not the Jesus you hear faith preachers preaching about. They say, well, he was head and shoulders, a great man. He was great physique. He was a great, powerful person. Somebody told me the other day up in uh, Oregon, that, uh, that a preacher had been preaching to them that uh, Jesus was the richest carpenter in Galilee. <laughs> they had to fit him in to the prosperity message. So they made him a wealthy, rich carpenter. That's kind of contrary to what the scripture said. He used the connotation of being a carpenter a few times in his messages and parables. But he sure was a poor fellow. He never had richness in his life of himself. The only time he had anything prosperous was when they buried him in a rich man's tomb. He never had anything prosperous in his life. Foxes had holes, birds had nests, he had no place to lay his head. But that's what we want Jesus to be. We want him to be big, famous, and great. That's what the world is wanting Christ in you to be. And he's not that. He says, I rode out of dry ground. There's no beauty about him that any man would desire him. And when we would see him, we would turn, as it were, our head from him. It's Paul saying in Philippians 2 that 
He made himself of no popularity, no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Why am I saying this? Because that's the Jesus that's going to come out of you as you are sometimes. No beauty about him. You say, well, did Jesus get angry? No, it was you in your mind operating as him that was angry. It was a man thing. Where are we learning obedience? In our mind. So if Jesus doesn't come out of us pretty, still Jesus. Because that's the only life we have. But notice this, as you grow up in him, as you come to know him and see him, you lay aside all those things that are unpleasing to him because his word fills your mind. He who stole steals no more. He who lies, lies no more. He who uh, profanes and curses, curses no more. He who degrades and blesses doesn't do it anymore. Why? He learns by the experiences and he grows up in him. I'm free to be who I am. I will never rebuke you for being who you are. I won't rebuke somebody for attempting their life. I won't rebuke somebody who miserably fails me. Nothing angers me more than somebody who creates a rumor or gossips. That's the meanest thing I've ever known in religion. But I won't come to you and rebuke you for it. I'll preach the gospel and let you know how I feel about it. But what I'll do is encourage you to be who you are. Because you're free to be that. That's what you're free to be. And I'm going to tell you something else. If you don't walk with me and you're not interested in the Christ life, wherever you go, you're still Him in your form. Yep. You can go back to the Catholic church. You can go to a Baptist church. You can go to a charismatic church. You can go over here and over there. But wherever you go, you're still Him as you. Because the only way He's going to get out of you is like you are. If He comes out sweet on Sundays and sour on Mondays, that's who you are by Him. Now, that's hard to get a hold of. But that's what you're beginning to see. It's Christ in you as you. And you're free to be who you are. I don't expect people in this fellowship at this juncture of the walk to be perfect. I don't expect you to know all about it. I really look in most lives, even those who are most vocal and say they know, I look for them to go entirely opposite. Or rather than look for them, I am not defeated if they go opposite. I've had several young men who've walked with me in these last few years who've gone the opposite way. I looked at every one of them. When they said, this is what I'm going to do, they thought I'd be hurt. My first reaction was, friend, you've got to do this. You don't know him yet. And you've got to go this direction. My prayer is for you that you'll see Jesus in all that you do. Because that's all you are is Christ. That's the only life you have. So whether you want to acknowledge it and live it and walk with me is unimportant. That's still all you are. You're free. We're free to be that, thank God. I'm free to be who I am in Christ. And if I'm not what you think I ought to be or what religion says I ought to be or what the scriptures say I ought to be, I expect you to see Jesus in me. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, do you know the awful thing Lichman did? Did you know what he did 20 years ago? Do you know what he did before he got saved? You know what I want you to say to them? I don't see anything but Jesus in you. You know why? Because I'm free to be who I am now. And so are you. That's your seventh freedom. 
That's not an excuse to be lethargic and indifferent. To keep on living slipshod, haphazard. But it means when you do fail and when you are wrong and when things don't go right. It means Jesus did it, but it meant you as Christ. You are interpreting Christ in that situation that way and you're free to do that. Doesn't mean you cease to be a son. Doesn't mean God took his hand off of you. You're free to be that. And I've got to say something else while I'm near the subject. And that is because you are a son of God, men and women, that's your entirety, your all. He's your all. You don't need one other blessed soul over you. You don't need me over you. You're free to be him in your farm. And I say that because I go a lot of places these days and somebody will come to me and say, Litchman, who is your covering? I say, Jesus. No, we don't mean that. Who is your covering? I say, I mean it, Jesus. Well, aren't you under some preacher? Aren't you under some group? When I'm around you, I'm under less because he's my, he's my elder and the Lord and I honor him as that. I'll always do that less to you because I'm so proud of you. No, I'm not under anybody except him who is my life. He's my covering. A fellow said to me the other day, well, who's the apostle in this group? I said, Christ. No, who really is the, doing the work of the apostle? I said, Jesus. Well, I mean, doesn't somebody say they're that? I said, yeah, I hear little women say it every once in a while. They don't know it. But the apostle Jesus comes right through them. Well, isn't there a prophet in this group? Sure is. Every once in a while it could be any one of you. Jesus the prophet manifesting himself through you. But we don't have an office. We don't have a door. We don't have a tag that says this. Because Christ is our all. He's, he's our everything. You're free to be Him. That's what God did when He made us sons of God. We are free to be who we are right now by Christ. I've had preachers to come to me and say, Well, I see things in this fellowship I don't like. Oh, I agree with them right off. You know I do too. But what's that got to do with it? Well, you just can't fellowship with everybody. Oh, I said, draw the line there. I see a lot of things I don't like, but that don't have anything to do with fellowship. Well, you just can't run with anybody. I said, I don't. He does. Sims, <laughs> not me. Sim. We're free. We have seven glorious freedoms that have been given to us that separate us from a law that says if you use it in the least bit, Christ is of no avail and you've got to keep the whole law. Now, are you ready for that? Now, I've got to tell you the hardest part of this message. It's this. The keeping of the law on our part is so subtle and deceitful we do it and don't know we do it. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you how subtle it is for us to keep the law. Somebody wants to stand up here before you and say, folks, you know, I've been totally against this thing, but God's really gotten a hold of me, and I confess to you, I've been wrong, and I want all of you to forgive me if a one of us was to take that message and say, bless God, I knew he'd have to do that sooner or later. We would have manifested a law. Are you following me? That's how subtle it is. Somebody came to me the other day and said, well, why aren't you having all of us read Madame Guyon books? And I have to confess, she's very outspoken in certain areas of the Christ life. But I've cut you loose from all books for the present time. Not that they're bad. There are a lot of good books out there that will help you to see Christ. But in Institute, we separate you from all books of the time because many of you are grappling with this law thing right now. And the law is so deceitful yes. that you don't know when it's being applied. 
For instance, Andrew Murray, which is one of the keenest in Christ position preachers, he doesn't know Christ as you, but he sees Christ as our life, will say Christ as our life in one line, and then in the next line he'll say, if you'll pray daily, this will be so. See, that's law. And we don't know the difference because that's ordinary religious thought. I have preachers that get up in our meetings and, and they say beautiful, wonderful things about the Christ life and turn around and nullify the whole thing by saying, now we really need to get a hold of God and make this work. See, that's good religious talk. But it's law that is so deceiving that we don't know the difference. It's like when trouble comes, our immediate response is, I failed God. That's law. So I want to say it to you plainly. If you get sick and you turn around and say, oh my goodness, I should have done this or that. You've entered into a law that may nullify his living waters from flowing into your body and bringing you healing. Or if you have family problems and you start saying, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. You've implied the law. What you need to do is to say to the Father, Father, I see you've let this thing happen so I can see Christ as all. Because if you go back under the law, you're trapped. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. We give most of our money out of law. I'm getting ready to take an offering too. <laughs> we give our money out of law. Oh, I need to do it. I need, I need to do it because if I don't do it, God won't bless me. That's law. Give your money because you love. As he was in this world, so are you. Hated, despised, talked against, criticized, and finally crucified and buried. As he was in this world, so are you. Don't just pick out as he was on the Sea of Galilee, quiet in the storm, as he was when he fed the loaves and fishes, as he was when he raised Lazarus from the tomb. Let's put the negative and the positive together. Because that's the Christ life. As he was, so am I. I'm going to get angry someday and get mad at everybody because of a law. That's what he did. He got mad over the law when he emptied out the temple of the money changers because the money changers was a verification they weren't hearing anything he said and weren't looking to the Messiah for their salvation. They were still going to keep that old way of doing things. That's the way many of us are. That's why the law becomes so subtle to us. We're so wrapped up in our old way of doing things that we don't even know when we're trapped. That's not the only reason you get sick, but that's one reason your body is sick. It's because it's dumped finally in your body by this frustration between law and Christ, where the Jesus, the real Christ life is in you, but you keep trying to make it work by something you do. And that's as foolish as a wife who says, Husband, I don't believe that your seed you put in me will bring a child. What a fool she'd be. Because anything she did to stop him from putting the seed in her would nullify the whole thing. Nothing else is needed but Christ. Now that's the blessed message and truth that I hear him saying to us these days. We have seven glorious freedoms given to us in this message. Let us stand, therefore, in this freedom wherewith he has set us free and not again be entangled with the yoke of the law. I can't take away your hard times. I did that for years as a healer. I prayed them away. I rebuked them away. I, I, I operated miracles by Jesus and they went away. 
But people never grew up in Christ. The least growing people in Christ are those that have their learning processes abated. I wish I could take all the hurt out of it. But that's not why you're on this earth. That's not why you're in this life. We're going to have that in the Father's house where we'll still keep learning. But we'll have a body that doesn't hurt anymore and a mind that sees only the things of God. But right now, by Christ in us, we have all of those glorious prerogatives and privileges working for us. Right now, they're working for us if we dare to take on this mind, the mind of Christ. So if you're hurt today, stand in your freedom. If you feel like you're being led to the gallows and they're tightening the rope around your neck, square your shoulders, look up to the skies, and say, I know who I am. Even though you destroy this earthly body, I've got a brand new body waiting for me instantly. Because I know who I am, and I'm free. I'm free to be me. I'm not free to sin. But I'll do it. That isn't why I got freedom. Not to sin. But I'm going to do that some. For if I say I have no sin, I lie and the truth is not in me. So, I'm free. Not to sin. But free for the occasion so that I can learn by it. I'm free to fail. I'm free to make mistakes. I'm free to suffer. And I'm free to be happy. I'm a free man. And this glorious gospel he's given us gives us the wonderful truth and life that makes it all fit together. Praise be to God. We're going to stop right here, but we hope you've enjoyed part two of the seven freedoms of the Christ life delivered to you from the archives of the great Christ Life Fellowship and Warren Litzman. We are here each and every week presenting messages and studies in the Christ Life message. Warren Litzman left so many wonderful things behind, and we're so grateful to have these audio tapes to present to you. Now, you can also own some of these things yourself, uh, books, uh, the audio tapes, the videotapes, all from our bookstore on our website. Check it out, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Go there, look at the bookstore, and read about the In Christ message and what we are all about. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring these great messages to people. Also, we'd like to thank Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.